Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So we were talking about how money is a tool and not defining you as a person and I think we've culturally have shifted big time on how do you how do you um measure yourself against other people and I think as we've gotten as you get older money is a is a more objective and simple way to measure something as like power but what's complicated is when you're a male a lot of your identity comes from how much money do I make or that's one of the traps I guess of identity is you know I define myself as somebody that makes a lot of money that can provide for my family. So it's really difficult to know like what is the, you know, what is enough and what is too much and you know what, that's just a, it's a tough thing to tiptoe because on both sides of it, you have this identity of what should you be doing. And I think as we both start raising families, it's going to get more and more complicated. And when we were younger, it's just like, all right, do you live in a nice apartment? Do you have a nice car? stuff like that to attract, you know, women to have high social status, stuff like that. So I think just money, money in general, I think is a good thing for us to, to talk a little bit about. Yeah. I, I mean, um, and obviously there's gray space in between and we're using over general generalization for the sake of proving a point, but, um, you know, uh, Oftentimes a man's status is defined by how much money he has. And oftentimes a woman's status is defined by how she looks. I mean, like, you know, that's in my opinion, if you were to reduce it down to like the burden that we carry, those are the respective burdens. And, you know, you could also throw like child rearing, like, you know, the ability of a woman to raise a, you know, to have a family and raise a family and look elegant and graceful doing it. And then the man, the burden is, you know, um, to provide for the family. And, you know, these are traditional ideas. Obviously all of this is being challenged in the latest century, but, um, I, you know, the, I, I feel like those are kind of the, the burdens per se. And, um, I was reading, I was rereading Jordan Peterson's 12 principles last night. And one of the sentences that I loved, uh, that stuck out to me was he, he said that as men become older, typically they become interested in things as women get older typically they become interested in people and relationships and i thought that was just a really succinct way to describe some some noticeable differences in character i mean you know my friends and i hang out and and men do things together we do things we golf we ski we fish whatever um and uh Typically, when my wife hangs out with her friends, they go to lunch or something and they talk to each other. And like that's a more relational friendship as opposed to an activity based uh, way of engaging with people. And so, um, you know, I think that kind of manifests itself uh, in in money in many ways because of like, uh, you know, we're supposed to provide the things and the women, perhaps, you know, the expectation is to be the connective tissue, the, you know, the glue, the, uh, the maintenance, the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the keeper of the direction or whatever, or the keeper of the, the status quo or whatever. And, um, 
growing up and becoming in this new phase of life where, um, you know, my wife is contemplating how much she wants to work as a new mom and me, you know, getting into the non early stages of my career and having, having some of those decisions, you know, about how we want our relationship to go and what do we value? Um, and you know, what, uh, what, what steps do we want to take next in life? Because growing up, we were extremely fortunate that our father chose a path that allowed my mother to work part time. Uh, and, you know, she was able to spend a lot of time with the kids. And um, I've always had that in my mind that I would probably want something similar just because of the way that I thought we were raised. I, you know, obviously, feel very grateful for it and kind of wanted to emulate what you know works right i mean obviously parents who have uh, both parents working or kids who have both parents working can grow up equally if not more successful i'm not saying one is better than the other i'm just saying that's the one that i know that's the one that i'm familiar with uh and i chose a partner who um i think had as a congruent sort of uh either goal or expectation or desire in life. Um, and I was talking with a friend last night about how important that alignment is as far as, you know, uh, mate selection. And, um, you know, I feel very blessed that uh, it happened for me in such a way that it has. But um, so much about that, that mate selection is timing and congruence and, you know, kind of ideas and, um this particular uh, person was, you know, not having the the same level of confidence that I was having in my life. So it was a bit of a counseling session. But um, and you might hear my producer uh, in the uh, in the background on the microphone right now. This is DJ Rex. He's uh, he might interject if I'm if I go off script here. But um, so yeah, I mean, money is 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 something that's big on my mind, especially as we think about. Oh, see, there you go. There he goes. Uh, uh, as, as, especially as my wife is deciding now, you know, what her workload is going to be now that she's post maternity. Yeah. And, uh, I think those are all really good points because it's just a choice of what do you want your familial structure to be? And we were raised under one structure and who knows if that's the correct one. You know, and I think it's just a matter of for each person, how do you navigate it? And I think everybody's life situation is different. You know, some are, you know, born into more of a a difficult situation or a different situation where they have to work, you know, different jobs. And I, I think we, the one thing we are fortunate, everyone here in the United States, is we have the opportunity to improve upon that situation. And that's something that I think is we're all very lucky, at least I know uh, you and I both are, and we can choose what, uh, where we want to go, what we want to do um, in terms of selecting a mate. You know, we, I, I think that that's one of the most important decisions that you have is, you know, do you have the same direction and goals? And I know that's, uh, we both are very fortunate. I, I think that our wives are very, aligned with how we're going to use money. Cause I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of problems with how do you manage money? How do you think of money? You know, it's just such a, uh, an important thing 
in terms of navigating life and making sure you can provide for your family. So I think, you know, money is such a, such a hot button issue. And it just kind of, it's a, it's a small indication of a lot of, I'd say, relationship uh, behaviors, you know, and, and if you are solid and a lot of your relationship behaviors, you can, you know, have a good, clear conversation on what are you going to do with money? Cause it's, I, nobody likes to talk about it. It's, you know, it's difficult. And I think there's definitely a, like these gender roles that we've all been kind of put into. And I think, like you said earlier, those are being challenged. So, you know, I, I, I think as you start to raise children, I think the priorities definitely shift. And that's something I've noticed within myself. It's just kind of the start of that shift. And I can't even imagine, I think once, you know, once your son came around, I'm sure you had a little bit of a change. Yeah, you know, maybe not as much um, as you might think, just because I kind of, you know, that was the plan the whole time, right? Yeah. So um, I think it was a, maybe less of a, I mean, obviously the whole life change was a big deal, but, um, you know, we, we had talked about this for a long time, so it wasn't like either of us was, you know, particularly surprised, uh, which is also another great thing. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, getting back to the idea about like money as a tool or a status symbol, um, in my conversation last night, I was talking with somebody who had done some traveling around the world and they had said that, you know, um, they were, their identity was wrapped up in being like this person who traveled around the world. Like that's what they did. They were this, you know, wanderlust traveler and they finally reached a point in their life where they're like, okay, I don't really want to be just that person who travels to really cool places and posts pictures on social media and writes a caption about like how much they, you know, how beautiful this particular scenery is because they're in Bali or wherever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think money is, is another place where people retreat to form big components of their identity, uh, along with people's professions, along with sports teams, along with any sort of kind of, I mean, uh, I mean, all of the stuff that's, you know, demographics, uh, your culture, I mean, identity, uh, and money is, is an interesting currency or, or like, you know, feather that people throw into their cap to form their sense of self-worth. And it is a necessary component of living in the United States and living in our modern economy. Like, yep, you, yes, you could go somewhere and live without it. Absolutely. It's very possible. Um, but the vast majority of people are not making that decision. And I'm, I'm one of those people I'm choosing to live in this society and culture. So net money is a necessary component of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I, these crutches, these identity crutches are, um, become apparent when we rely on them sufficient, such that, um, we need to broadcast them for our own sense of self-worth. And that's when I think things get kind of ugly is, is, is our need to broadcast in order to develop that sense of self-worth. And I think you, you had an experience that, uh, yeah. So picked up on that. Ye yesterday I, uh, we were on, uh, so we lived near the St. Croix river 
which is, you know, connects base goes through all the way down through the United States. And we were out on a, a pontoon boat and it's not, you know, it was just a, a normal pontoon boat. We were out with a couple of friends and their kids and uh, we were sitting on the beach. We pulled the boat up and this woman, you know, swam over and sat down and started talking to us, which is pretty normal. Uh, but the problem is it just started to get into her talking about how much money she had within the first five minutes. She started to say, well, I'm a phar- pharmaceutical rep. I was working with Mayo. You know, my husband's in real estate. You know, we have that big boat over there. Well, we, oh, we, we are members of two yacht clubs. Well, it's nice. Cause then you can, you know, cause we were, you know, we were kind of talking and I got a little annoyed. So I'm like, oh, so how many grandkids do you have? She's like, I have three grandkids, but we bought a new boat so that we can have all the grand. It's like everything started turning into this identity of like, oh, we have a lot of money, which, you know, it's funny because it was probably 15 minutes and, uh, you know, the, the, the boys were out in the, the water where there's a little boy and we were out kind of in the water. He was exploring the deep end. And the women were talking and then we came back and, and so we spent 15 minutes. Then we're like, all right, we got to go. See you later. So she left and uh, the women were like, my gosh, that was uh, you guys, you guys, that was the same conversation we had with her the entire time. It was just this talk about the identity, which I think it's, it was good to kind of understand what was going on with uh you know, it's a good a good gut check to say, oh man, is this something that I do? Because it was, you know, pretty obvious that was her her identity, and you know, she was just kind of you know needing that reinforcement constantly, and everything kind of went back to that identity. Which, you know, I think it was nice because our friends were are you know pretty they're nice people, and so we just kind of had a had a joke about it afterwards, and are like, oh man it sounds like they have a, you know, a lot of money. That's, you know, it just kind of like you needed to let the air out a little bit because it was a lot of just identity push. And I, I think I was thinking back of like, what do, do I do that with certain things? Uh, I probably do. Uh, but when it's that overt and I think, you know, that that's something that we can all think of, but it was yeah. just uh, a lot to handle. I mean, that's a, uh, that's the, original like virtue signaling um and the modern day virtue signaling is is around these social ideas like you need to get vaccinated when chances are all of your friends are vaccinated and you're really not actually reaching any new person who would have a differing opinion for some reason you got to tell everybody that you're on board with vaccinations or you're on board with ending racism or you're on board with whatever social issue it is and to suggest that you know this is a this is this is a key part of who I am, um, and I, I I've got no problem with activism or speaking out. In fact, it's it's a critical component. But um, the uh, the virtue signaling, which is what was going on here, like I'm I'm signaling how much virtue I have with my wealth uh, or you know your yeah. social currency. Um, it just is a, a very odd. Uh, you know, insecurity is just the first thing that comes to my mind. And when I think about my virtue signaling, I think I most strongly virtue signal around work ethic because I do often work and it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a very prevalent thing in my life. And it's hard not to, whenever somebody says, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm going to work. Right. And, and that's probably my 
my like um virtue signaling that I could do a better job of not necessarily you know making a as large of a component of my personality as it is even if it is something that I do it's not something that I need to talk about and um so you know when you ask yourself what it might be for you that's that's probably what it and I would imagine it's it's probably not that much different for you considering you come from the same cloth we're from the same we're cut from the same we have the same guideline I think yeah, for me, it's a lot of talking about work and healthcare and, how, you know, trying to solve that problem and like, oh, this is my thing. And, you know, it gives me something to work at and work for. Yet, I think it den- it can come just like everything. There's uh, you can go too far. So, you know, uh, that's that's a lot of why I've been trying to I mean, a goal of mine has been to try to break away from work during the weekend because I've been doing that. And again, it's that's hard because you want to talk about that all the time. And it, it is an insecurity of like, I, I do have value. I am busy. I, you know, I have things going on and yeah. I, you know, and that's how you're reinforcing we, it in yourself really. Yeah. And you're trying to continually tell yourself like you are enough, you know, you're good enough. And by contributing to society, you have value. And, you know, and those are all, I think good things to tell you know, to kind of continually reinforce in yourself. And I think being, being nicer to yourself is something that I think we all as a nation would benefit from. I really do. I think giving ourselves a little more slack so we would do less of that virtue signaling. <laughs> so that's, I'm sure if you, you know, there's, um, there was a really good quote that I heard the other day that has been, um, helping me. And somebody said that I forgot who the author was, but they said, heaven is just a different set of glasses that you put on. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, the, the message that I took away from that comment is it just matters how you look at every situation. You know, you can, you can view every situation as entirely negative, as neutral or as positive. Um, And so that really helped me it just has been something I've been thinking about is like every situation that presents itself to you, you know, like it's raining out right now. You know, what is that? Is that, Oh man, it's raining. It sucks. It's a bad day. This is frustrating. Or is it, Oh great. Maybe it's a chance for me to sit down and read a book that I've been, you know, meaning to get to, or, you know, there's just different ways you can think about it. And I, I tend to be more of a positive person. So I think that's a easier thing for me to do. But I do, I do still struggle with the negativity. I really do. Yeah, um, I, I work. I have a ongoing struggle with a coworker who um, I don't think is offering a lot of value to the task at hand, and I'm really struggling uh, with how I am not adding fuel to the fire. So in my morning meditations, I like do loving kindness meditation towards this person because I'm trying to lower my reactivity to them. Uh, and it sort of works. Uh, I only the I, I think I snapped twice on Monday and once on Tuesday and once on Wednesday. So, uh, that's been progress, but, um, yeah, focus trending the right way. I'm trending the right way. Um, but at least you uh, can identify those snaps and trend like, that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, and that awareness of, you know, when am I 
I see it happen in meetings all the time. When am I talking to be heard versus saying something? You know, when am I trying to reinforce my own value in front of others as opposed to letting the thing that I do be the the offering that I off you know that I bring to the table? Um, that virtue signaling is just all over the place in the workplace, and you know, obviously, awareness is the first step. So you catch yourself before you're like. You know, am I really trying to just tell people that I have value here or do I really have something to say? And um, it's particularly obvious in corporate culture uh, where I spend a lot of my time now. Um, and it's it's very, very much something that I'm trying to improve in myself because I, I, um, I, I like this week, it was all about like I was trying to be like, honestly, don't get into these little pissing matches on phone calls because it will just weigh me down. It will, I will be squabbling in the mud about some trivial piece of trash and it will reduce my value if I let myself go into these, you know, just dumb, comp, you know, pissing contests about stupid stuff and like, you know, non-value add conversation and like, it's hard to prevent yourself from going in there sometimes when somebody like opens that trap door and just says something absolutely stupid. It's like, okay, are we going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed myself is I think people, and I think don't think they're doing this on purpose, but there's a lot of that trying to open that door on purpose, you know, to, they try to kind of open the itch and I've noticed myself doing it too before where I'm trying to create more of an emotional moment. Um, and I don't know if that's boredom or if it's just like a way, a habit, but there's that constant like opening of the valve of emotion, which whether it's positive or negative, uh, it's, I've noticed that happen a lot and I'm trying to like, like you be more aware of, am I trying to contribute to this situation or am I just trying to kind of shake things up and, you know, uh, you know, and instead of getting involved in that, and I've noticed some of the people that are really good leaders can kind of, you know, pull people through that and they don't stoop down to that level and they can kind of raise it up a level and say, all right, you know, I think we're getting a little, we're getting a little down in the details here. Let's focus back on what we're trying to do and, you know, let's make sure we're contributing towards it and what's, you know, they kind of can circle things back to what the ultimate goal is. And that's hard, hard work. It is. It is. Uh, my current client is a, is a very, convoluted environment where we have, um, uh, you know, tons of stakeholders always involved. And, uh, I'm getting an education in, uh, political, um, how to be a more politically savvy individual, uh, because I would consider myself to be extraordinarily politically unsavvy. Uh, I've made a lot of foot in mouth, <laughs> What's what's kind of uh, one of the things that you've noticed that you have been trying to change? Um, well, Just one like thing telling I, it like it is too too much or pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the appropriateness of audience, uh, like 
I've been reprimanded several times for bringing up like tactical issues that certain ears at leadership levels should not hear. And um, the interesting thing is that I think it's good advice because the tendency for these people at senior leadership levels, any single time they hear that there is something that is even slightly amiss, they will just absolutely hammer it. And then all of a sudden, you have a very senior person laser focused on this one particular segment. And so several times I've like, you know, there's been a development on Friday and we have a meeting on Monday and I talk about the development that was on Friday and it's not the appropriate forum. And so I, you know, have my hand slapped or whatever. And um, I'm trying to, you know, realize that there's there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I also tend to be somebody who um, doesn't want to waste people's time. And sometimes when we just don't talk about the real issues at hand, it's a, just a giant waste of people's time. And I, I happen to think that that's more prevalent than um, spending too much time talking about. Um, well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an it's a balance because we've I've I've witnessed conversations where we've spent a ridiculous amount of time talking about minuscule things that are not material to the task at hand. I've also witnessed, you know, just blasting over the most salient, what I would consider the most pivotal piece of information that could be used as a leverage point to drive change forward. And it is just such a challenge. Uh, I'm, I'm really learning a lot in this new role uh, as a, you know, a component of this much larger machine. I, I typically operate kind of in a lone gunman type mentality. And uh, that's, that's not where I'm in. That's not where I'm in right now. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, I think a position that a lot of, you know, a lot of people are, I mean, I wonder most people in the United States, I don't know the stats right now are employed at a larger organization. I think what Amazon employs like one out of every hundred people right now, or some crazy number like that. Uh, so I think, you know, from a, from a daily life standpoint, people that are our age are really dealing with that. How do you navigate culturally some of these things? So these are all really good points that are good to learn. And if you're, if you're working, if you're in a community, these are all things you got to navigate. And, uh, we were, you and I tend to be on the more forward tell tell exactly what's going on wrong so we can just put on the table and solve it i i I do think you're right we we sometimes say things that we shouldn't say Uh, yeah um the appropriate forum the appropriate audience the appropriate um like uh greasing of egos or you know pumping of tires in order so that people are receptive to your message i mean it's a it's a real art and uh, I, I would consider myself like a junior varsity person in that game right now. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm barely, and I think I'm barely your, getting some playing time. <laughs> well, your tool is like you're a rebounder. Like you go in yep. and you, I'm a role you, player. You you play know defense. how to you know how to play <laughs> defense really hard. You'll you'll guard their best score and make sure that he doesn't score. And you're not going to fall out, but you're going to probably fall a lot. And, you know, you're going to do a lot of the good stuff, but it just, it, you know, teams require a lot of different skill sets. So it's just learning how to, how to do that. And what I've noticed is trying to enact change 
you know, in people is so much more than just telling them, I think you need to change. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's something that I think when we were growing up, that was, we were just told we need to do this and you're expected to do this. And that was kind of what you would do. And, and, um, obviously there was definitely pushback from everybody, but I think when you get into a, you know, out into the world and you have somebody who you're talking to, who you need to convince to do something, it requires a whole different skill set around how do you land the message? How do you, you know, make sure they're buying in? You know, there's just a whole different level. It's like, you know, managing a team is complicated. You know, you need to, you need to do certain things. So it's just, how do you enact change in people at different levels? And that's, that's something that, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and I have, you know, that's like 50% of my books are change, whether it's change within me or change within other people or how some person created change, you know, all this stuff like that. Richard Branson, you know, it's just, these are all ways of navigating life is how do you, how do you move things? And I think we're driven by, you know, evolution. We're driven by a lot of these biological factors, social factors, and it's just navigating them, I, I think is quite the journey for us. And I, I think when you start to bring a, bring a son into the world that, uh, it causes you to think, you know, you, you, it gives you the joke as always, it gives you different perspective on life. Yeah. I was, uh, just reading an article about the, um, melting of the Greenland ice sheets and um you know it was one of those articles that suggested that like the greenland ice sheet is melting at twice the rate that it's ever been or whatever and then there was some fact checking organization that actually commented on the article and was like actually it's well within the historical average to have this type of a severe melting event mm -hmm. and it's just so hard today to have any sort of clarity around what's going on because then i then I read this article about how the uh, the uh, Gulf Stream is going to be ex is going to go away, basically. And the fallout of the Gulf Stream going away is that you will not get like uh, apparently what happens is I believe there's like really uh, cold salt water that is deposited in the Arctic and that kind of creates this uh, or it like goes down in the ocean or something. And then it creates this kind of effect which brings uh, you know kind of like warm air from the gulf of uh mexico kind of across the atlantic into europe and like it's this whole sort of psych cyclical weather pattern and these german uh, environmentalists or environmental scientists are suggesting that the gulf stream could stop in um seven or you know within our lifetime really you okay. know they don't know exactly, but they were suggesting probably within 100 years, maybe within 50 years. Wow. Uh, could even be 10 to 20, really. Hmm. Um, and the fallout with that, of that would be that Europe would become much colder and much rainier. So I thought it would be a great place to take a ski trip if that ever happens because the Alps are going to be insane. But uh, seriously, um, it's going to become ski haven. Yeah, it'll become ski haven because I'm very concerned about the snowpack in all of this environment. You know, this. So what are, what are your thoughts on the snowpack in the United States? I don't know. You know, it didn't say what the effect would be in the United States, but 
climate destabilization is very well understood at this point, you know, just as far as like longer droughts and more severe rains, you know what I mean? That's, that's, or more severe precipitation events. I mean, that's going to be the new normal. Um, and so it's going to change, it's going to fluctuate. You're probably going to have greater periods of extreme, you know, snowiness and, you know, we had extreme heat this summer, extreme heat and not a lot of precipitation. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I would just expect the scales to swing more widely between the two kind of spectrums. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, obviously there's kind of the, the information that it's hard, it's hard to sift through the information that's available. And, you know, obviously there's some, because everything unfortunately is like tainted, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, depending on what news source, even scientific, you know, even these scientific, scientific experiments, get funded by certain organizations, which obviously want one outcome. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult to know what, what you're reading. Is it, you know, is this the unfelt, you know, is this truth something that you believe? And I think one of the skills that we are, try, I think is going to be really important in the future is how do you, use your own fact check instead of relying on other people to give you the information, like coming in everything with a, you know, with a, an open mind that you're trying to just understand the real facts and being able to like, when they say, Oh, studies say that, you know, you know the ice caps are melting. It's like, well, what, you know, what studies are they? And you know, what's the information, where does it come from? And being able to, to look at it yourself, I think is so important because I think as we've realized over the last few years and it's getting, you know, even worse with the, with the virus is what is really the objective facts. And it's just getting extremely skewed, very, very skewed. And, you know, anywhere online, everybody has an opinion. So I think that's a skill that is going to be really valuable. It just individually is how can you how can you look at a situation and say, all right, what are the facts here? And really understanding how to identify facts and in, 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 uh, using those skills on yourself. Well, and, and as the need for the recall of information essentially going away, right? I mean, yeah, information recall, which is typically been the foundation of, you know, all education, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like some critical thinking stuff, but um, be interesting to see how, you know, value changes in the world. Um, as you know, memory memorization, you know, there's less of an emphasis on the need for that in a modern day. <clears throat> I would say trial and error becomes such a valuable skill today. So much of our modern world, I think is, is more predicated on trial and error. If you look at just any sort of marketing or business scheme of the ability to try a solution and then move on is, um, what I, what I would argue leads to the most, you know, sort of value, uh, in, 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 in the hopes of solving a, a, uh, in the hopes of solving a problem, obviously recalling information about perhaps previous events when this could have happened that you can use to, you know, incorporate into your thought processes is a valuable skill as well. But, 
uh, with the great repository of information being available to everybody. Um, the interesting thing I've found is that there are few questions in the world, or at least I'm just going to focus on my, my business case. There are a few questions in my industry that people do not know the answer to. Everybody knows the answer to everything. Like I get in these meetings, we have problems that need to be solved. Um, there's, there's really no question about what the answer is. Um, you know, there's, it's pretty straightforward stuff and it, maybe it's just because of my experience, but, um, it's where, where things fall apart is the execution and the how and the actual doing of the things. It's not, it's not the, it's not the strategy. I don't know if you've, you've encountered that. <laughs> oh, totally. So I'm reading uh, a book by two former Amazon employees. And it's funny you say that. Cause I literally just put this chapter down and it talked about, how we they have rethought the execution in terms of communication and what they were focusing on is where are the bottlenecks in communication and trying to eliminate that instead of how do we make it more effective their goal was to eliminate it so the easy the example they came up with was we're going to create internal apis which means how do how to speak to my form of technology and how do we communicate so that instead of requesting development resources and doing this whole thing they would try to reduce that friction and so that's a it's an example of how to think about being more effective as you know as an organization and um that's one of the things that I think we're constantly searching for is how do you, how do you make it go a little faster? And I've always struggled with requesting meetings and then getting approval and then getting more approval and then going through this. And it just like, you're constantly jumping around where it becomes less about the strategy and all about the execution um, in terms of getting this done. And, you know, I want my project to get all the resources. And then once it has the resources, you know, I, it's just that constant battle makes it really difficult. And one thing I've, you know, I, I'm just fascinated by Amazon as a case study because of their just truly rapid growth. And I don't think it is because they have like a better product. They're, they're an online marketplace, which there's so many online marketplaces. But I think their execution is is really good. And I know you and I were talking about this at a different at a different um, in a different podcast a while ago. But it, yeah, it, and I want I want to inform you that my uh, my experiment has been quelled. <laughs> Got shot down. It did. Uh, I was trying the Amazon, um, you know, meeting pre read, where I would write up sort of a half page one pager with key insights and things that like you know i wanted to discuss with the group uh and it just got pushed back into powerpoint so really? now i'm now i'm sending out decks back to decks back to decks it was a it was a valiant effort you tried Probably lasted hey. about eight weeks <laughs> and uh you tried apparently uh, i i I've I've actually had some success, but it's mostly with outside clients, and it's really because I'm working with an operator, 
and that's the only reason why it was successful. But it sounds like culturally that was uh, not not going to fly. No, it was not clear enough how we could guide the conversation in the in the document. And it, it, I don't know if it's just the work isn't well suited to that sort of format, or if it was just culturally not fitting. But um, apparently, we need like one. You know, and this is, you know, I credit my boss for kind of, or my manager for kind of uh, helping think through this because one thing he does very well is he's like, on a slide, you have one piece of information and one key takeaway. And like, he's like, with your group, you need one specific message on every single thing that either has a follow-up action or it doesn't. And then we move on because we have a tendency to just spiral in too many directions in this, in this working group. So I, I did appreciate that advice as far, I mean, he's, he's very much looking out for me. Um, and maybe, maybe at some point I'll come back to the, uh, the Amazon, you know, pre-read meeting method. And by the way, only like five, probably 50% of the meeting would ha would actually read the pre-read. And it was mostly the client, so all of the people on my team. I don't know. I didn't get the sense that they were that they were reading, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll revisit that later on. And but for now, I'm uh, I'm back being a PowerPoint jockey, and it's it's so funny um, how uh, people. I'm I'm kind of a one trick pony. I don't know about you, but when it comes to making slides. I got a I got a couple in the bag. I don't have a lot. You have a couple go tos. I got a couple go tos. You know what my you know what my big uh, my big go to is? It is the uh, it is the rectangle box with rounded corners. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's the it's the nice looking box. Oh man, that shows yeah. that you've got structure, but you're not too structured. You're not rigid. Yep, and then I. I even have expanded my uh, my use of it. Gray now are findings, and purple are questions. Mm. So, I mean, I'm getting really sophisticated now that I have two different tools in my tool belt when it comes to making a PowerPoint slide. It's so funny because you can tell culturally uh, what a lot about people from the slides they make. And one thing that I was talking about, so a lot of salespeople that I work with completely hate PowerPoints because it doesn't allow for that free flow discussion, which then you learn a lot about the other person because it's not as scripted. And one thing I've learned about PowerPoint is it's this desire to control the conversations. Like, so yep. I have this crazy amount of control over the conversation. It is. You know, people are talking about something and then you're like, let's go to the next slide. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep. Okay. Be quiet. Now we're moving on. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's like this... a, it's a nice way to say, shut up. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you, you know, let's, uh, let's put that on the parking lot and we'll come back to that. You know, we just move on to the next slide and it's, uh, I've noticed certain people that love control. You can see in the way they even do slides. So they'll like read words off of slides and they get like super oriented on control over slides and people that don't necessarily like control, but I think are more, they more desire like the free flow conversation. They're more relationship based. They don't like PowerPoints as much. 
So it's really been interesting to see because, you know, in the position I'm in right now, I'm we're trying to sell our product to multiple different stakeholders, personalities. I'm starting to pick up on these little details around what do they prefer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yep. been really fun um, because I think it's helped me um, tailor my, what I, you know, like understand what do I want from a conversation and how do I get there? Cause I, I quickly go back to, I've noticed I quickly go back to what I'm comfortable with when it's a big sale or when the meeting is, you know, and, and P, I've noticed this from people on my team too, is <clears throat> everybody goes back to what they're comfortable with when they're, when they're nervous. Mm-hmm. But that whole PowerPoint thing in terms of culture is uh is really interesting because in uh, the consulting world it was i mean powerpoint is what you lived and died by and i work with a bunch of consultants right now and i'll tell you uh the uh the message that is just music to an operator or a control person's ears is well that's a really great point and actually we address that on the next slide so if you'll please proceed i mean that is just like straight heroin yourself yeah exactly i covered this already (laughs) baby here we go i thought of that first (laughs) oh i I, I hear that all of the time well the best is like the the double high fives they give each other of like oh we're helping each other in this presentation now and you know it's really fun because it's it is funny there's a there's like a funny dance that you do and it's like great point john i'm actually going to cover that in the next slide you should be delivering this presentation. You know, that whole, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that whole dance that everybody does at the same time. (laughs) Just everybody's hopping from one cheek to the next on the zoom call. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's Uh, just so funny to look, to think about the, like the work that we're doing right now, just objectively you look at like, we're sitting in front of a computer screen with people from all over the world country or we you know whatever the united states or the state or wherever and you're trying to get them to to change a little bit it's just kind of a fascinating thing that we've uh we've run into modern day warfare man you got you got all the digital natives playing cod and then you got all the millennials gen x and gen y's playing email cod oh yeah it's just Zoom cod. jockey <laughs> yeah. War zone is from uh, eight to ten p.m. Uh, at the Moen household, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's uh, it's so funny how that the medium has changed too. So I don't know. It's we've talked about like is business travel going to come back? A lot of you ask a salesperson, they say yes. You ask somebody who is an analyst, they'll say no. So it does. I don't know what the answer is. I just had to put the kibosh on a sales or a trip out to uh, a client site that's over on the West Coast and um, they're having an outbreak. And one of the people that I work with was a really big advocate of getting everybody in the same room so we can just hammer out the details. That's like, well, you really want that because you don't know what the details are. So you just want to be the one who's controlling it and take responsibility for the fact that once we're all together, you had a big hand in making this happen. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I was just like, there's too much going on. I think it's an irresponsible risk to travel to a health system that's nearing 100% capacity of their inpatient setting and 
travel across the country and interact with a bunch of people on a flight. I don't think that's probably not a good message. To... No, no, it's really. I mean, what are the what are the benefits? I mean, the benefits just really don't outweigh the risks. I think in that situation. So I was like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable making that putting other people at risk from my decisions, uh, you know, but, um, we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out. We've, you know, got these other thing that, you know, huge priorities to accomplish, but I was talking with a, a different, more senior person about that. And, and I was very reassured when he was like, Oh no, no, you made the right decision. It's totally irresponsible to travel and come here right now. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Oof. Yeah, it's you know, and you're starting to understand what culturally flies and what doesn't. So, because how long have you been in the job? Six months, three, three months, not e not even six. Yeah, wow. and I'm I'm like uh, I'm a fairly perceptive person, but um, oftentimes I wouldn't call myself like the most socially savvy. Like I think you uh, see things, um, you know, and you can pick up on like what is the business risk. And you're really good at identifying those things. So it's good to kind of open this spigot up and start to see what's under the social, you know, like in the other side too. And I am just so damn bullheaded and unfortunately arrogant that I rarely want to make those concessions in order to be like, oh, that was a meaningless point, but I'm going to make you feel good about it. You know, it just I mean? kind of like, goes against a lot of what you've been <laughs> yeah. raised upon or it's a skill I am not very effective at deploying. Let me just say that. Uh, and I don't th I don't know a lot of people in our family who are good at deploying that skill, frankly, but it is a valuable skill because you got to make people feel on the team, even if you think that what they're saying is really not that important to the particular task at hand, which and, you know, I think there's one other really great Jordan Peterson quote, which is uh, you always have to assume that anybody that's talking knows something that you don't. And yeah. I think that's a critical point because I oftentimes get myself in this, you know, thought of like, why are we spending 20 minutes talking about this issue? It's it's ridiculous. And so then I try to come back to like. This person does know something that I do not know. So try and listen intently and give them the respect. Uh, and that gets really hard to do when it's a five-minute soliloquy about, you know, some bullshit thing. But it's, uh, it's yep. something that – it's a nice message and it's a simple way to package how you enact being humble in your daily life, you know, when you find yourself, not, you know, straying from that. Yep. Well, and really what that is is your ego is like taking over – you know, and your ego saying, and I felt this in myself too, is like, you know, you have, you you don't have time for this type stuff. And, you know, yep. it, it just, it becomes, it's not a healthy space to be in, I think. And so that's good to identify that because I've, yeah, that's something I think we all need to work on too. Cause being a listener is just such an important part of being in a relationship, whether that's with coworkers, with clients, with your significant other, with your kids, all that stuff. I, I just think that's such a key part in listening is I think something we all can do a better job of. Absolutely. Like all of our listeners out there listening intently today, we really appreciate your uh, attention and focus. Uh, and that's, that's how I end my meetings right now. I don't know if you have any better way to end a, uh, end a meeting like a zoom meeting 
you know, because you're always at a tight deadline, you're bumping up against the hour or whatever. And so usually what I just say is I, you know, thank you everybody for your energy and attention. And sometimes it just feels a little bit off. Um, like the, I, I, I felt a little bit forced because I, I one time I, at the end of the meeting, I like forced that and because I wanted people to know that I was appreciative of their time. But really what was happening is my stakeholder was trying to thank me for reinforcing very important messages. And so we kind of like double spoke at, we yeah. kind of like spoke at the same time. Yeah. She kind of like thanked me and then I thanked everybody for their energy and attention. And I was like, uh, you out thanked her. I don't know. Yeah. You're which, trying to outthink it. You're, you're in a thanking battle, which is common from the a Midwestern person to get into that. That's the, the thank Olympics who can, who can thank quicker and faster. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to, uh, um, I, and my, in that meeting, you know, let's say I, I was the one who scheduled it. I led the agenda, whatever. Um, you know, how do you, cause I, I think it is important to acknowledge that people make a conscious decision to, to, to be with you. Mm-hmm. It's it like ending a meeting is so hard because I think about this a lot as I want to end it on a positive note. And mm-hmm. so I've been trying to make contextual jokes about what we've talked about to try to lighten the mood a little bit to, you know, and I, it's really complicated and I've definitely, you got to be really careful about how you do this because I've made mistakes in that, but I've tried to think about what I like, what points I want to do and then make jokes and it's, it's. I don't know. I, I think that has helped me. It's hurt me, but I, just every situation is different. So it's, it's really hard for me to like engage in a consistent way of doing like ending a meeting or something. But you, you do throw the thank you out, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Some- oh, there's, there's definitely a generous appreciation for the person giving me their time. Yeah. And I think that's a message I is like, I try to convey, and maybe it's not at the be- not at the end, but at some point, and it's not overdone. I've overdone it before, but I truly do appreciate people giving, give allowing me space in their time because I think that's the most valuable thing we have in our day is the time. So I truly do appreciate when people give me, you know, ten minutes, answer my phone calls. I try to come into the meetings like you know, you could be really doing what anything else, but this, so I appreciate you. And I, I think that, that I try to go into every, like respond to every email. And I'll tell you what, I've been getting a lot more responses from emails by approaching it that way. <laughs> yeah. I like the, uh, focus on time because, uh, that is what people are giving you. You know, they're not always giving you consideration or energy or attention. Those are additional gifts that you have to earn throughout the meeting. Mm-hmm. And so time is the only is the only guaranteed, which, which you know you've at least gotten from somebody if they're on a you know a phone call with you. So yeah. I think that's that's the place to start. Yeah. So so perhaps we thank you, all of you listeners, for your time. And uh, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room.